again to Tribal Wisdom Stories. I'm back, Purnshri Kandade, continuing with our theme on storytelling. And today we have Tara Douglas, a researcher, animator, and storytelling expert joining from my home country, India. Welcome, Tara. We are so happy to have you on our podcast. I would love for you to start by introducing yourself and telling our listeners a little bit more about you. Okay, cool. great. Hello. Um, yes, I'm, my name is Tara Douglas. I'm, I'm actually from England. I'm English, but I'm born in India. And I studied at art college. I studied animation at art college. And this is where I first got exposure to experimental animation and indigenous animation and the way it was used by artists, which is quite different from commercial applications of animation. And um, even from an early age, I was drawn towards um, mythologies and folk tales. I used to really enjoy reading those kind of stories as a child. And um, then, then there was my mother and my mother got herself immersed into the Hindu way of life and culture in India. So that brought me back to India again and again. And then I had the opportunity to become involved in translating some Adivasi, that's like tribal folk tales from India for the medium of animated film through my connection with a small company in Scotland called West Highland Animation. Together with West Highland Animation, we produced a series of animated Adivasi stories called the Taller Story Competition, which got completed in 2006. And then I went on to direct um, and produce another second series of animated films that um, focused on the Northeast region called the Tales of the Tribes, which got completed in 2017. This became a practice-led research project, a PhD in digital media. So it took it to a, to a different level or to a greater depth this study and interest in tribal Adivasi folk storytelling. And it also highlighted the importance of ethics and the responsibility to the community and the ownership of these stories, the cultural ownership and how to interpret them and present them in the correct and accurate manner. And now I'm carrying on this work at a greater depth supported by the Indian government through the Northeastern Hill University as postdoctoral research fellowship. That's my story in short. Thank you, Tara. Since our theme is about storytelling, can you share a little bit more about your journey to storytelling? What led you to call yourself a storyteller? Well, it um, kind of began at art college, really with my exposure there to experimental animation and the way animation was used by artists to tell stories as a dynamic art form. And then there was the exposure that came to tribal art and tribal stories through this um, relationship and connection with the West Highland animation. Then, then it became this practice-led research the journey to storytelling, well, it's always like that, looking for stories to tell in, in animated film, in the animated format, you know, story is what's the most important thing, because although we may get quite astounded by these wonderful technical effects, which we can do nowadays, what really lasts with us is the story. So um, 
it was looking for the stories for the animated films and then getting interested in the tribal stories. Then again, going even to a deeper level and finding out more, not only about the stories, but about the context and the people and the places where the stories come from. Then also going myself in physical journeys to these places to meet the storytellers and to record the stories, you know, and actually being there at the place where the story took place, you know, and meeting perhaps the descendants of some of the characters in the story, you know. And then, of course, there is um, somebody else that I must mention to you who is, uh, he was an English person just like me who came, he was prior, quite a lot before me. He came to India as a young man. He was Dr. Veria Elwin, you know, and he um, became a very renowned researcher and documenter of the Indian tribal stories. So I came into contact with his work in libraries. He wrote about 26 books during his lifetime and several of those are anthologies of tribal folk tales. So looking for the source material. And then of course, I found out about Beria Elwin's own journey, his life story, which was really fascinating because he had been an Englishman and he had come to India and he had lived with the tribal communities and then that sort of developed in him as a, an approach of kind of activism and attachment to these people and to their stories and wanting to preserve them and sustain them and keep them alive. So that was something which really inspired me. Then this Tales of the Tribes uh, animation as a tool for indigenous representation. That was the name, that was the title of my PhD thesis. And it was trying to, it was using this interest in this practice that I had, this animation practice, to be able to um, see how that could be used to sustain tribal stories and also to represent indigenous cultures in a new and entertaining and interesting way for younger people. You know, tribal stories, they are being forgotten now because of the impact of the modern way of life in these tribal societies modern education and the pressures that young people everywhere face to to make an income basically so in that process they are getting distance from their oral traditions so animation might be a way to help to sustain these stories and re-engage younger people in the stories because the stories are the repositories of their knowledge and traditions and customs is all explained and comes out in the stories. So that's why it's so important to sustain the stories. And then as, as, as it goes on, as the process goes on, it's also about becoming aware of the many layers of the tribal stories, you know, and the knowledge and how it is embedded into the stories and what we can learn from listening to these stories. It's, it's wonderful because we see that our life today has such a huge impact. And even if I don't live close to these areas, the tribals are also kind of drawn towards the cities today, or uh, the indigenous people have schooling systems that are, you know, very modernized and we're kind of losing what really uh, was taught to them by their elders. So um, you're doing some great work and it is so important to capture these stories and also replay it back to the tribals or indigenous peoples to let them know that you have this amazing treasure trove of information, of knowledge, of practices, of beliefs. Oh, may I just add one more thing, which is that uh, 
I think and feel that it is inspiring also for the indigenous people themselves when somebody comes from outside and takes so much interest in their stories, then they suddenly again get a chance to reappraise their own oral traditions and see that it is actually of value and because the impression that the younger people may be getting is that you know the stories are kind of outdated or old-fashioned or from a very distant past you know but when somebody is coming and also using a contemporary format like animation and film and taking so much interest in their stories I think that it's inspiring for them too and then they also are called to rack their brains for the stories which I'm seeking from them you know so then they like the younger people, they they are inspired. Well, in fact, I also ask them to please go off and find some stories from their elders because when I ask them, they may not know any stories off the top of their head, you know. So then they have to go and meet their grandparents and try to find these stories. And then they have to translate these stories from their own indigenous languages so that I can understand them and they can provide me with the information that we need for the filmmaking process. Yeah, that's also like reconnecting them to their knowledge. And that's lovely. Do you have an example for us from your current works or past works where you can share with us what kind of storytelling have you done in the past? Uh, did you represent their myths, their folk tales, or what was really, what was this entire process of co-creation and how did it all work? How did it all happen? Well, the stories, I mean, it is an oral tradition, these stories, right? So that means, of course, that they are passed on word by word of mouth, right? So the storytellers will have different versions of the same story, and they will re remember and highlight different parts of the story which would have stuck most in their minds. So it's completely, it really is quite an organic process, the storytelling. The first thing that I need to do is, is go off and record the stories, document the stories, you know, and as I had mentioned, it's really the elders, they are the, they are regarded and recognized and acknowledged as the um, keepers of the tradition, you know, the knowledge and the stories. So I go and I find some of these storytellers in the village, record the stories using audio and, vi and video, then of course they have to be translated from the indigenous tongue into English. And for that, I have helpers, you know, these are collaborators in the village. Recently, I have just returned from a very remote corner of Arunachal Pradesh. It's the Wangcho community. We are working now for this new project called the Stories of Our Ancestors. This is sponsored by the Indian government and it's through the Northeastern Hill University. The first thing is to document some stories. We've recorded about 33 stories so far from some of the local villages in this Longding district. And thankfully and fortunately, my collaborators there, they are very enthusiastic for this project. Um, they are local teachers. One person in particular, he's the local teacher of the school in the village. And being a teacher, he's one of the most educated in the modern sense of the word. And he is very fluent in English and Hindi as well. Luckily for me, he's also very knowledgeable about the stories because his father, he unfortunately passed away um, in March this year, but he was one of the elder storytellers of the community. So he managed to pass down a lot of knowledge to his son. It's been a great collaboration. And the stories, okay, the, the tribal stories, they are, you can't really categorize them as such because they're very organic and fluid and different versions and changing all the time in a sense. But there are two distinct kind of branches to the storytelling that I've noticed. 
One of them is like this mythologies and the creation stories, which give these communities and people some kind of an idea. It may be a quite a poetic an imaginary and imaginative idea of human creation and the creation of animals and plants and natural phenomenon around them. So those are the creation stories, which are quite mythological in their, in their telling. And then we also have the oral histories, which are more kind of based probably on remembered events, you know, that have been again passed on from the ancestors. And those kind of stories tend to be more about well, they're very, very location specific, you know, and they talk about particular trees, particular hills and mountains and rivers and stones and events and heroes and people's names are actually remembered, you know, from these events. And they are like also stories of migration, how groups migrated from one village to another village. And they also involve quite a lot of conflict over land land and also resources and the utilization of resources and also the rituals that they have to perform in order to um, ensure plentiful crops or, or, or even good health, physical health and the prosperity of the village. They do these rituals and these are outlined in the stories and all the reasons for doing these rituals are also told in the stories. You know, and it's about, basically it's about appeasing spirits, you know, because Traditionally, these tribal communities believed in also the unseen world, the natural world and the supernatural world was also there. This interaction between human beings and the natural and supernatural world is what kept it all in balance. And sometimes it would go out of balance because of maybe the actions of humankind, whatever it was. The priest would have to work out and decide what rituals would be performed in order to readdress this imbalance and that was very important. <laughs> yeah. It must be really challenging sometimes to work. There could be a language barrier or, you know, there could be challenges that come up with working, especially when we are from different contexts. So um, what were some of the challenges that you faced and how did you overcome those? Yes, you're right. I mean, there certainly are lots of challenges. With the language thing, of course, that is a major challenge because you know, they, they speak so many languages, especially in, for example, in Northeast, which is where my more recent work has been done, it's getting done in the Northeast, you know, there's hundreds of languages, each village almost has its own language, certainly in one tribal community, there might be um, two or three or more different languages in the same community. Yeah, I am trying to learn a bit of Wancho at the moment, but um, apart from like some small talks, some small words, I don't know how far I'm going to get with Wancho, which is why it is so important to have collaborators, you know. It's also not just about literally understanding the story, but it's about getting to grips with the, like the sort of embedded cultural meanings, which of course would be very difficult for someone like me, you know, from a completely different cultural background. Really, I think time, time is required. That's the main thing but I always do work in a place where I do have local collaborators even if I may not initially have that you know through the I do some research before I go there you know and in more recent times with the recent work that I'm doing it's actually people from the community that have approached me and said look we want to do something on our community can you help us which is what happened with the Wancho storytelling thing so the challenge is yes the first ch challenge is language but then I always 
work with the younger people as well as the elders. Now, the elders are the ones which know the stories and the younger people are the ones who are bilingual, right? Because many of them, especially in Northeast India, they are educated in English medium schools. Um, otherwise, Hindi is also there, some Hindi. So they can help with that part, you know. But then I often have to go back again to the storytellers or back to the translators and say, but what do you mean by this, you know? So sometimes it's just through the discussions and time that you get to understand the stories a bit better, the details, which at first might come across to be a bit confusing for someone like me, who's not familiar with the culture. So that's one challenge. And the other challenge, of course, is um, the physical distance of going to these places. I do spend a lot of time in India, but these tribal areas, like, for example, this Wancho area, Wancho Hills of Longding District, it's in the remotest corner of India. It's just like less than 20 kilometers from the Myanmar border, international border. And it's also a restricted and it's categorized as a disturbed area for various reasons which means that you need to get a protected area permit to go there if you're an outsider. So that's the physical distance. The, the biggest challenge though really is not so much in meeting the storytellers and recording the stories if you have an adventurous spirit and you're adaptable and quite resilient. Yeah, the main challenge really is actually um, in how to adapt these stories for animated films, you know, because here, when you're talking about converting to animation, we're talking about high technology, you know, and specialized skills generally, as it is known, costs a lot of money to produce, you know, and how to do that on a, on a smaller budget. And also the other thing is that I really, in my research, you know, because it became the PhD and, and all of that, you know, it's all about working together with the community because it is their cultural heritage, these stories, right? So it would be rather dangerous to go to, the, to these areas, take the stories, go far away and convert them to animation films and then try to bring them back to the community because they may not connect with this new version of their stories, you know? But by engaging with them in the animation process or at least in some of the animation process, not all of it is possible in the village, then they give their inputs into the adaptation process and then they are, they've got an investment in the animation process, an investment of their time and energy and they become more familiarized with it before I bring it back to the communities, you know. So yeah, I'm seeing that storytelling is a crucial medium to, you know, bring the stories that come with our communities as well to make them live on. And as a young person myself, I know that I have missed on so many stories that my grandfather or my grandmother could have told me. I do see a disconnect in my life specifically. And I'm sure that not just me, but a lot of young people who are living in the modern world today in urban areas feel this lost connection with their own communities, with their own stories, with their own traditions. So do you have some advice for people who would like to reconnect and bring storytelling back into their lives? Well, I think the first thing is that, that we could be aware, learn to become more aware of our own story, you know and the role that storytelling has on our own lives and our own identity and our relationships and our approach to life. You know, we're always telling ourselves stories, but we are largely unaware of it. So by listening to stories and being aware of 
other people's stories, we can also realize the influence that stories have on our own lives. Advise people to listen out for stories and to seek seek out stories and storytellers, and especially storytellers from other cultures than our own, as it is a way to understand cultures and people through their stories. And then the other thing is we have to learn, I think we need to learn to be honest in our stories, you know, because it is so easy to be self-deceptive, you know, therefore it's important to be reflexive, you know, and vigilant and to see that, I mean, for example, in my research, um, one may feel, you, you forget that you're seeing things from your own perspective, yeah? Even when I go to a tribal community and I'm um, observing and recording, I'm, I am seeing things from my own perspective. So that, so listening to the stories and listening to the storytellers makes me also aware of my own, um, my own role in the whole process because it's an interpretation that's coming through my um, cognitive skills, you know? And all the time keeping being reflexive and thinking, is this really the way it should be going? You know, is this, for example, an equal collaborative relationship or am I being too dominant in the process? Giving enough time to listen as well. It's so important to listen. Even when we're listening to the stories, we're already trying to make our own interpretations and things and make sense of it. But that process of listening is so important first off. So with that, Tara, I want to say thank you so much for being here and sharing your experiences on your work, the way you engage with tribals and the indigenous people around Northeast. It is very, very inspiring. And I know as a young person, I want to come and join you on the project. I want to say a big thank you from Tribal Wisdom. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was a lovely discussion. Thank you. Thank you.